it is time for another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. I'm Tanning Grace, as always. I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Surprisingly not tired. Normally, oh. you know, we're we're in Tuesday evening, so I, I have finished an episode of Versus Live, and usually an episode of Versus Live leaves me kind of beat. It's just three straight hours. I'm, like, constantly on, and you know how mm-hmm. just, like, being on is... Yeah, is, yeah, of course. Uh, that's uses a lot of energy, even though we're just, you know, sitting in a chair. A lot of mental fatigue. Yeah. A lot of mental fatigue, yeah. But, you know, ha- had a nice relaxing day yesterday. I was able to get home from Knoxville this weekend, Sunday night. So I got home late, so, you know, slept in Monday. Uh, we're recording this Tuesday, so I didn't have to do that that day. Just focused on getting versus live set and writing an article. And then, uh, and so got got a good night's sleep Monday night into Tuesday. I'm feeling good. How about you? Uh, I'm, I'm very tired, actually. <laughs> Uh, we'll get to why in just a second. Were, were but you up late for any particular reason? I, I was up late. Um, for, for one of the reasons was I was busily refreshing Twitter for your your live tweeting of watching Star Wars <laughs> yeah. for the first time, the the new Star Wars movie. Yeah, I, um, I was happy to see that the theaters still had it. Um, you know, it's been a while. Apparently, you were by yourself, right? So the so the yeah so the the theater I go to is this little community owned theater, um, in Roanoke. And there's, I think, four theaters in it. So it's pr- it's pretty small. And they have the main... Like four screens? Yeah, the four screens. Okay. I think it's four. Uh, because I think it's two downstairs and two so upstairs. Not many, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, there's the one downstairs, if you just walk straight in, and you walk straight into it, and that's the big one, whatever, the main one. That one probably seats like 150, maybe 200 people. Um, and all the blockbuster stuff goes there. And then they have a tiny one downstairs where like the indie films go, that's probably like 25 and they have two upstairs that are something in between there. Um, but not that big. And this was because it's star Wars. It was still in that big theater. It was in the main one. And I was the only one there. And so I just have the run of the place is giant thing. So I don't have to be respectful and turn my phone off or any of that nonsense. So I just started tweeting while I was watching the movie and I just kept going did you have your feet up on like the the chair in front of you, like you were lounging? I could just envision yeah. this with like the, the 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 phone in your hand and yeah. Well, the the cup holders are in the are not on your seat; they're on the back of the they're seat the back front of you. in front of you. So yeah. in order to to get to my glass of wine, I had to uh, I had to take my feet off the back of the seat occasionally. But oh, they serve wine there. It's a they, classy yeah, joint. Yeah, they added a bar like uh, maybe a year ago, year and a half, and so they have a little four seat bar in the lobby. Uh, so I always get to the movie an hour early now, uh, yeah. and, and you know have it have a drink or two in the lobby. Get nice sauced up. <laughs> have a drink or two in the lobby. In this case, it was just one, and then I bring one in because they have little dis- right. uh They have actual reusable uh, plastic cups, one that's a pint for beer and one that's smaller for wine, mm-hmm. uh, and they let you take them home. So now I have one of each because I hadn't had, I hadn't had, hadn't had wine at the bar yet. Uh, so yeah, had had a beer, had a glass of wine, watched Star Wars in a completely empty theater on a giant screen. Got to tweet out about Chewbacca playing chess, and yeah. I, I tried to keep it as as spoiler light as possible, even though we're like you know so far in that nobody cares anymore. Right. Um, but uh, I I liked that like the people that had seen the movie based on when I was tweeting, like I got a lot of responses saying like I could tell exactly where he was every, yeah. every time. So that was good because that was the goal. I was I was a big fan of this thread. If you if you <laughs> haven't uh, seen this thread, it's a it's a it's the early leader of the clubhouse, by the way. I loved your reference. I'll, I'll yeah. be at the clubhouse. Early early leader in the clubhouse. Uh, it's a golf reference for all of you who don't, who don't understand that. But early leader for thread of the year. Yeah. So I definitely recommend you go back. 
uh, take a look at it. It's very, very funny. You know, so, uh, you, you know, you joke about like how they added a bar to your theater. So all the theaters here in Baton Rouge have, have serve alcohol now. Big, big surprise, right? Yeah. The Louisiana movie theaters have alcohol. We still have drive through daiquiri places. They literally will hand you alcohol out the window into your car. But since the straw is not into the beverage, it is not an open container, apparently. D- debatable, but anyway. You have quite so, the legislature there that, r- yeah. that writes in that exception. Uh, but see, my, my favorite part about this is that we, you know, we have bars at all of them. And um, I see movies one of two ways now. Uh, I almost never see a movie with my wife. Uh, just because our A, our tastes are different, and B, like I want the movies that I go see are usually the big blockbuster type stuff, you know, like Star Wars, Marvel movies, things I want to see like opening night. And she A has no interest, or B doesn't want to deal with like the huge crowd, and so I'll, I'll go by myself a lot, which I've actually come to like quite a bit. I think within the last year, I started seeing movies by myself more, and I've very much enjoyed it. And so I'm usually um, engrossed in the movie quite a bit. You know, I'm like very. Um, What's the, the word I'm looking for? Yeah, like I'm, I'm very invested is the, is the word I was looking for. I'm very invested in this movie, you know, um, kind of thing. And then there's the ones that I go for pure entertainment. And I have uh, a specific person that I go to for these. It's always Brian Basoko. I'm always like, hey, hey, let's go see this movie if, if his girlfriend doesn't drag into it, which like one of the last ones we went and saw like the Godzilla movie, you know, the <laughs> sequel, because I actually adore the first Godzilla movie, the one that came out like five or six years ago. I thought the movie was very good. Okay. This one, not when you, so, so much. you mean like the fourth Godzilla movie? No, no, the the like the they redid the whole thing. You know, like they're all in the same universe as like King Kong and all that stuff. Like they're making a universe. If you didn't know that, the next one is King Kong versus Godzilla. Sure. You know, they had Kong Skull Island recently. Yeah. Even though it was like set in the seventies or something with like Sam Jackson, it had like four people from Marvel in it. So is that like a different universe than the original King Kong? It, I, sure. It's just like a redo. Like, a, what do they call it? A, a reboot? It's like a reboot. Okay. Right. I didn't. But, I didn't know. realize that all these remakes were being like were reboots. And so yeah, it's funny. They just universe. they literally just hired like all the Marvel actors because like in the original Godzilla, there's it's there's like a, a ton of Marvel actors as well. And anyway, so um, I liked the first one, but we knew the second one was going to be bad, right? Like the reviews were really bad or whatever. So I was just like, as soon as we got our tickets, so we go to walk in. He's like, hey, the movie's this way. I'm like, yeah, the bar is this way. <laughs> there's no <laughs> way I'm seeing this sober. So, you know, we got a couple of those and uh, the movie wasn't uh, there's people in there, but I really was like, well, I need to enjoy a situation where I get to go see a movie like where I'm one of the only people in the theater and you can kind of just ham it up, you know, like Mystery Science Theater 3000 style or something. Yeah, I have now, you know, I don't go to movies that often, you know, a handful a year Mm -hmm. and I always go to the Grandin Theater and there's. I mean, there's just never anyone there when I go. I don't know if I go at weird times because I'm often not going there, you know, Friday, Saturday. You do matinees like you do in the afternoon. No, I usually do pretty late at night, actually. Mm-hmm. Like they and they don't have like, I don't maybe for the blockbuster ones, they have like the midnight showings. And they do on like Friday nights, they do midnight showings of classic movies. And then they do early morning showings of classic movies. I meant to go see One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest in December. And then I just didn't wake up. Next time I come and spend some time in Roanoke, we're, we're definitely doing this. Sure. That um, sounds awesome. Yeah, but uh, like multiple times I've gone to a movie and I'm just like the only one there or whoever I'm with, we're the only ones there. Um, or maybe there's like four other people. Occasionally there's been a, a crowd, but like it's usually nice and uh, nice and, nice and quiet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one thing I do kind of miss, I, I didn't think about this until we, we brought it up. Um, watching movies in Vegas was actually kind of uh, kind of cool at times because you have, you have your typical theater type experience, but also... Uh, especially when you're with people like Jonathan Job, 
who's got like baller status wherever we go. <laughs> um, I remember we go to uh, one of the theaters once, and I it was a big release. I can't remember if it was like one of the Star Wars or one of the Avengers, like the actual like Avengers, you know, the bigger like everyone's in this movie, not a not one of your standalone Marvel movies. And we got a box, like you know, like sporting events, how they have like the room at the top, like the you know, like a yeah. We just get in there. Um, it was like a, a sectioned off area. If I remember, it had like two rows of the seats, and it wasn't the. It was like the really nice, like leather reclining seats. You know, you can move it all. There's like a fridge at the end, and you can get stuff put in there. There's like, you know, food and stuff if you want. It was pretty sweet. I was like, I could get, I could get used to this kind of thing. So, what was there like a? It wasn't like a sports box where there was like a screen, like and you're really. Yeah, it was completely screened in. in. Okay, I, yeah, it was like I, um. I was also kind right. of thinking that maybe it's like an opera theater box where you're just like up no. off to the side. No, it's, like, a little bit bigger and longer than, obviously. It's, like, okay, so, like, think when you're in a theater, and it would be in a normal size, not yeah. one of the gigantic ones, so you're not super far from the screen. It kind of looks like what you see when you look up and you see the actual, like, projector room. Yeah, it, it's there. Yeah. It's, like, it would be, like, right below it. And yeah. it's just, like, a, a clear wall. You know what I mean? Like, a, like just a clear screen that you can see through. It's, like, glass. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, that's the word? Glass. I was trying to think of it, too. Over <laughs> <Yeah, it's, laughs> two. I can talk good, I swear. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so that was a long tangent around why I was up late uh, last night. For all of you who didn't know, there was a, there was a football game last night. It was the, um, I won't say the last college football game, because I think there's actually a few more games for some reason after the national title game. It, they're weird, the bowl yeah, schedule sometimes. Yeah, there's some weird bowl games, I think. I think. So. But last night was the last playoff game. It was the national title game, and it was um, a battle for, like, the ages. A lot of people talk about this was, like, a really cool game, because... Um, LSU going in was touted as like one of the better teams all time college football was. Yeah. I'm not sure I hundred percent, you know, buy it. Like I'm thinking of like those like 2001, I think it was like 2001 Miami teams where like their top three wide receivers are like all going to be in the hall of fame. Like their top three running backs were all like very productive running backs. And then like their defense had like seven starters or something. You know what I mean? Like, like Clinton Portis was like, their backups backup. Yeah. Or so, you know, he like Clint barely Portis saw Frank the field. Gore, I think were the two backup. Running yeah. Backs. That's what I'm saying. Like people that, yeah, multiple, like there's like seven hall of famers on this, on this thing. And their quarterback was a good college quarterback. You know what I mean? And stuff like that. So, but the thing is like, we were one of the more prolific offenses of all time coming into this game. And LSU is traditionally known as just having a good defense. What's, what's going on? What'd you read on the other screen? I saw just, the face. I just Googled the 01 Miami hurricanes roster and it's just, <laughs> it just keeps going. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a banger, as the kids would say. Yeah. But it's one of those things, you know. It it would be a good game because, like, I I think we'd still put up forty something points on them. You know what I mean? Like, people weren't gonna stop Joe Burrow. Like that guy's and that guy's an all time college. Like, yeah, one of the one of if not the greatest quarterback seasons of all time. Yeah. Because you know he shattered almost every record, and most of the people whose records that he broke look nothing against them in the conferences they played in. But you're looking at people at like Hawaii and like Texas Tech. You know, schools that are known for, you know, not playing against the best defenses week in and week out. Yeah, and throwing you know, not, the ball like 80 times a game. Yeah, you're not playing against like the SEC West and the SEC East and stuff. You know, we beat seven teams that were ranked in the top 10. If you look at the final the final standings of the year, the final top 10, I think we beat six of them. Think about that. The final standings of the year of the college football season, the top 10 teams, we beat six of them or whatever because we actually won the game against Clemson last night. It's it's a cool it's a cool game too because there's a lot of smack talk around stuff other than the game because both teams are the Tigers and both teams call their their home stadium Death Valley. So, 
it, it was kind of interesting to like have that dichotomy. It was like everybody kept putting out videos like the real Death Valley, the real Tigers, you know, with the in front of everything. Because it's, you know, what kind of person puts the in front of their name? Seriously, let's be real. Yeah, it's very it's like ostentatious. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I will say this: there is one thing that definitively you can say that we we were better at, but like besides obviously the football game, like the intangible stuff. Have you seen the mascots from the two schools? Like the actual physical, like. You know, you know the ones that are, like, on the field? Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. So they're both tigers, right? And ours is, like, this big, comical, like, tiger suit. Theirs, not so much. It's, like, I want to call it, like, I don't want to, like, be, a, like, that offensive, but it, like, almost looks like a homeless version of ours. Was it, was it like, Tigger? It looks like Tigger had a bad year, or three, and, like, maybe did a little couple months of hard drugs or something, but... Like, here, here's the best way I can describe it. Like, just Google both of them real quick, and I'll, I want your reaction live on air. I want you to, all right, see both okay. of the mascots, and I, I want you to think about this. The way I like to describe it is the difference in the two mascots. The The Clemson mascot looks like you took the LSU mascot, buried it in Pet Cemetery, and it came back to life. <laughs> Everything about this mascot is fine, except the eyes. They, like, put owl eyes on a, on a tiger. It's also really skinny. It just looks like... You know what I mean? It just looks emaciated to me, or something like it's like give that give that give that tiger a burger, you know? Okay. Put some carbs in the diet. The LSU tiger, he's got more of the more of the cheeks going on. Yeah, he's got like he's like a big like he looks like a tiger, you know? I don't know how to say it otherwise. <laughs> he's got like some size and some bulk to him. The other one looks like, you know, when you see okay, if you've like been to Vegas or you're, like you've been on the street, you see the street performers and they're like. You know, there's like always like a bumblebee from Transformers and like, you know, a couple of the other things. And there's like a there's like a Spider-Man and like a Mario. But there's always like it's always like the budget Mario or the budget Spider-Man. Do you know what I'm do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, that's the difference. Like one of these is like, yeah. you know, a, a professional costume designer yeah. built this. And the other one is I bought this for twelve ninety nine the day after Halloween at one of those shops that only exists in October in the mall. So, I don't know if you know this, but Southern people are known for being nice, right? We're known for being, like, hospitable. You know, like, we, we have our faults, like most people, but we're known for being really nice. Out of the goodness of their hearts, the uh, LSU fans have actually started a GoFundMe for Clemson so they could actually buy a real mascot uniform for next year. Please tell me they reference, they call it G-E-A-U-X me. That would be hilarious. I don't know if you're, like, if you could do <laughs> that, but that would be great. For anybody who doesn't know, we, we like to put, you know, like, Go Tigers is spelled G-E-A-U-X. It's got, like, the French, Cajun French type thing. If you've heard our coach speak, you'll you'll get it. Because yeah. <laughs> if you've heard him speak, you probably didn't understand him speaking. <laughs> he he <laughs> speaks with part. a lot of E-A-U-X words. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go Tigers, <laughs> as he always says and stuff. But uh, it was a really good game, so we were down, like, 17-7, like, 10-0, 17-7, like, early. You thought maybe they'll make it a game. Yeah, yeah, if you didn't watch the game, um, we had two early drives where we had to start within our own, like, five, and, like, never got anything going. And so we had to, like, punt from our own, like, inside of our own 10 and stuff, you know. It was a close game, and then we got the ball on, like, you know, some decent field position where we could actually throw the ball, and Burrow just lit him, lit him the fuck up, like, however you want to put it, you know, just destroyed him, so. It, it was kind of like the, um the Houston-Kansas City NFL playoff game. Oh, or like God, Houston for... takes that lead, and then Pat Mahomes is like, how about no? Yeah. How about instead we score every time? Yeah, so it was 21 to nothing Houston in the first quarter. And I don't know if you know this, I mentioned him earlier, Jonathan Job, uh, a hometown Houston boy, loves his Texans, loves his Astros. It's been a rough week for him sports-wise, by the way. <laughs> um, I just text him, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, how about, how about this game? And he's like, uh, he's like, I'm playing a legacy tournament right now, but I just saw the score. Yeah, pretty nice. 
text him in the fourth quarter. I'm like, we're not going to talk about this one, right? And he goes, yep, not a word. Because <laughs> I think the final score was like 50-something to it like 28. 51-31. Yeah, yeah. Like, they scored 10 points. They scored 50-something. It, it yeah. was 28-24 Chiefs at halftime. Yeah. And it was 21 nothing in the second quarter. So in less yeah. in like 10 minutes' time, they just put up 28 points. I don't know if you know this. Pat Mahomes is good at football. Yeah. It was the only time... At least in playoff history, but I think it, I think the citation was in any NFL game. No, maybe it's playoff game um, that a team had been down twenty and won by twenty in the same game. Yeah, I don't know about that spread. I know there was the what was the Bills game? It was like thirty-one. The biggest comeback ever. It was like a playoff. It was like a playoff game. I think it was oh the, Bills. the Frank was like, Wright game. Yeah, it was Bills yeah. Oilers in ninety-three. Yeah, it was like I think it was thirty-one. It was thirty-five, nothing at halftime. 30. They won third. Yeah, it was thirty-one no, to thirty-five. Was, I think you're thirty-right at thirty-five. It was thirty-five, nothing, and they won. 41-38 in overtime, I think. Which is just absurd, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I, we don't have to get this exactly right, but yeah, just absurd. So uh, I'm obviously very, very happy. Um, I would have been pretty happy with this season, even if we lost the national title game, but it would have been pretty bittersweet not to cap off this season. three. Yeah. yeah. It would have been pretty bittersweet not to... In overtime. Yeah, not to cap off this season with a... Oh, there you go, you got the... All right. Give me the little finger gun, I like it. Uh, but yeah, it would have just felt wrong, right? Like, not to... It, you would have felt unfulfilled, you know, with like the season Burrow had and like going fourteen oh, yeah. zero, you know, going into this game. I'm sure, like I'm sure the, Clemson fans feel the same. It's like but, the Patriots with eighteen and one and oh seven and yeah, yeah, they just run the regular season, run run the playoffs, and Eli Manning of all people, yeah, David Tyree last catch in the in his career. Yeah, like, just never, yeah, that's the head catch, right? He catches yeah, it, like, the helmet. The joke about that he had some gum on the back of his helmet or something, <laughs> you know, just stuck the ball there or whatever, blah, 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 but yeah, super great game, um, went and watched it with some friends, had a really good time, um, I think your your old versus live buddy, Todd Anderson, would have had a good time at my party, we, they were doing, every time we scored, you had to take shots of fireball, which... They it was a tradition that they they kind of set to the wayside this season because I don't know if you noticed we were the highest scoring team ever this season <laughs> or one of the highest scoring teams ever we averaged like almost fifty points a game so people would have died <laughs> if we if we kept up with this it's only once a week yeah but you have a buy you could recover this, hey this is also on a Monday night I had work the next morning the the best part about it is is uh we were all trying to vote at work because we had like an actual like day long meeting that was supposed to be you know nine a.m. to four and uh, that's what I'm just getting home from. And uh, they're like, hey, do you all want to move it back to 10? And most people are like, yeah. Uh, the, the guy running the meeting is like, nah, it's cool. We'll just do it at 9. And uh, he's, a, he's a Bama fan. So he's like, yeah, I, I went to sleep at halftime. Didn't really care. You know, blah, blah, blah. So whatever. But it was a good night for me. It definitely could have been worse. Um, super happy. Super proud of our kids. You know, like, it's, 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 it's been nice to watch this. The last couple of years, you know, got dicey at times uh, and stuff. No, not going to go too far into that, but super proud to be an LSU alum this week. And people on our Discord and on Twitter and stuff were, were adding me a lot and stuff during the game. So had a lot of fun with that. But um, so speaking of someone who actually won the final game this weekend and didn't lose in it like I normally do, uh, I I knew that Ross went to an Open this weekend and didn't make day two. So he got to play. He, he qualified for a classic, as, yes. as the kids like to play. And I qualified very quickly because I'm very good at magic. Yeah, I qualified very quickly. Yeah, just the quickest. I, I don't actually know how your Open I went. went. We didn't one speak four about in the it. Open. Nice. Good job. Good job. But we made pretty good use of day two. So, Ross, you played in the, the Pioneer event. And I remember I was kind of keeping up a little bit, and I was texting with you. And then I got the sad text of, I pulled a tannin. <laughs> this is literally what I sent him. 
He's not making that up. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I pulled a tandem. I was like, God dang it, you lost the finals. It's, it's, it's a rough feeling, but you've, you've done this quite a few times in your career as well. People, people yes, forget about that. I have, uh, I think I am tied for the most open finals losses Which in four, right? Tour history. Oh, five? I have more than that. Five? I think I have seven. You have seven? Somebody else has seven losses in the finals? I believe Jerry has seven. Oh, yeah, that kind of tracks. He did make a lot of finals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I have, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have seven. Um, I lost the finals uh, in a Delver mirror in Los Angeles in 2012. I would not have lost that, just so you know. Um, well, it was a weird, so the my opponent, I believe his name was Kian Jafari. I might be getting that wrong, um, but he was. I was playing storm like this was standard blue white Delver, and he was playing a mono blue list that had Augur Bolas, four main neck gut shots, and a bunch of Rune Chanters pikes. I remember this, yeah, I remember this. And Inkmoth Nexus, so a little bit different list. And the one advantage I had on him was he didn't have a lot of phantasmal images and didn't have his own Geist. So you just had Geist, yeah. So I had Geist advantage, because we're back then there was a legend rule where image could basically kill a legendary creature. Um, so I had Geist advantage in the matchup, but I just didn't really draw my Geist and like kept reasonable hands, thinking, like, I can't really mulligan that aggressively towards Geist with St. Trapped. Um, and like it, all of my hands were like playing the Delver game, and against the person with four gut shots, you, you don't win the Delver game. No. He also had main deck mental missteps. That was the other thing. So, like, my, my draws just lined up very poorly. Were you supposed to board out Delver Secrets in that matchup? Maybe. I didn't really... Um, you know, I wasn't quite on, on that level then. I probably just played him straight up. Um, but I, I lost that. That was the first one I lost. Then I lost... Um, oh, I lost that finals to Dan Musser and Legacy... Uh, was I, lost the... I don't know if we have time to go through all of them. <laughs> I've, I've lost. I've lost three legacy finals, right? Three, one to Dan, one to Dave Shields, one to Dan Musser, and one to Daryl Ayers. Two with me and Brennan. Uh, I've lost two finals with you two playing teams. I lost the recent finals in Worcester to Aaron, Aaron Barrage. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Aaron, so that's already, not, that's another, already seven. Another open win for her this weekend. Yeah, so so I think that, I think that's the seven. Okay, like I have three like three legacy finals losses, two teams, and and two standards. It's a good little a good little uh, spread out because your your team ones are modern, so it's kind of like a little sprinkling in all the formats. It's pretty nice. Yeah, yeah, okay. equal opportunity. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know runner what up for. Yeah, e- equal opportunity bridesmaid. Yeah, there you go. But so you got second in the Pioneer Challenge. Uh, what was your deck of choice this weekend? Because I actually really liked your deck of choice. We're going to talk about why. Yeah, I played Sultai Dredge. Um, I like the deck name, by the way. Please, uh, please call it that. Yeah, I've written quite a bit about this deck and other graveyard decks uh, recently on Star City Games. Uh, I thought they were well positioned and they looked pretty powerful. Uh, went with the Sultai list. Uh, I've, the zombie list has been a little finicky. And it just doesn't play out of the graveyard as well. I think it's more of just like a straightforward aggro deck. Whereas the Sultai deck really has some busted, uh, you know, prized amalgam, haunted dead kind of draws. Like uh, I played against Dylan Hand in the quarterfinals. And in our second game, at the I passed on turn two with uh, 13 power in play and having triggered a creeping chill. So uh, his the, the chonky red deck doesn't really keep up with that. Okay, so that this is, I'm going to interject here because like this is actually one of the things I want to talk about. I think this is one of the reasons you, you chose this deck, right? Was the matchup against Chunky Red? 
yes. Um, I, I think it's pretty telling that they all play like three or four Tormod scripts in their sideboard that basically only come in against this one matchup. Um, and, and Todd has said has said that to me and, and other people that like, you know, you don't really need the space against other decks because the red deck is quite good and the dredge deck is pretty tough to beat game one. Um, oddly enough, like Tormod script is not, you know, this haymaker card, you know, it's not Leyline of the Void or Rest in Peace, but... The red deck is pretty good at closing out games once it gains a little bit of traction. The issue is that it's a little slow out of the gates often. You know, you're, you're, that deck is trying to use its removal spells to keep its opponent off balance, mm-hmm. which is not particularly good when I start on Stitcher Supplier into Seder Wayfinder. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, they're sitting there with these like removal spells that they can't get good value out of. And then you, you know, put so much pressure on them immediately that they're not really able to gain that traction. Getting a little bit of time with a well-timed Tormod script is one way they can get to that point where they can turn the corner. So it's a good card for them. But, you know, you have you have to time it well. It's, sometimes it's awkward to know when because of Gurmag Angler. You know, if I'm casting a main phase Gather the Pack or some other enabler, you have to either hope I hit a Narcomoeba or a Creeping Chill to stop me from immediately casting a Gurmag Angler. And if I'm casting Salvage or Gather, I can just put the Narcomoeba into my hand if I really, really want to play the, the Gurmag. Um, so like there's a, you know, risky bit there. I know, um, Dylan and I also played in the Swiss and that there was a turn that he regretted using a, a torment script pretty aggressively in response to a, uh, gather instead of, uh, waiting a little bit because he was afraid of Gurmag, which I did have. So it's not like his fear was unfounded. Uh, and it was, a uh, you know, he was trying to get, uh, traction with a rabble master. And so get, getting the big block out of the way was important. Uh, so like there was some reasoning behind his play, but like, it's just tough because you don't really have a, you know a guaranteed window where you know you're going to be able to get good value out of it. So, um, and I also won games where my opponent crypted me and I just recovered. Because one of the nice things about the deck is that the three of the four enablers, Stitcher Supplier being the ex- exception, replace themselves. So you don't really run low on cards. Mm-hmm. You know, Modern Dredge runs low on cards and then uses life from the loam to refuel. This deck really just doesn't. Like, I've, a lot of games, I'm, like, turn four, I've cast multiple enablers, I'm well into my deck, I've got a good battlefield, and I still have five cards in hand. Yeah. It's a really good feeling, I gotta tell you. (laughs) Absolutely. So, I'm looking at this list, and one of the things that kind of stands out, I know some people, this is, you know, not, like, new, new technology, but one of the cards that had kind of, like, that would jump out at people off the page if they look at your deck list, which we'll have it in the show notes, you can find it very easily on StarCityGames.com. You had two Decimator of Providences in your deck. How was that? So big pig, as you someone would love to call it. So big pig is Ilarg, the boar oh, god. Which one's this one? I'm sorry. Boar. This is biggest piggest. Biggest piggest. Okay, I, I apologize. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry, Ilarg. Significantly bigger than Ilarg. Uh, so I I wrote my article on Star City this week about this deck. It's live now. You can go read it. Um, and there's a section in the article with a heading title, "Lessons from the Tournament." Sneak preview. The first line of that section is, first of all, Decimator of the Provinces is the truth. Mm-hmm. This is not a card. Uh, when I first started playing this deck, it was not really common. And I saw it start to pop up. And I was a little skeptical. You know, it, it looks like a pretty prohibitive mana cost. Mm-hmm. Six green, green, green to emerge. But because Grizzly Salvage and Sator Wayfinder help fix your mana and find extra land drops, you get to, you know, three, four, five mana pretty easily and when you have Gurmag Angler and Grizzly Salvage and Gather the Pack to dig for specific creatures it's not that hard in a protracted game 
to find the combo Grimmag Angler uh, Decimator of the Provinces and just cast your card for triple green. Sometimes you get to sacrifice Haunted Dead and pay five mana. Which is fine, right? Like, that, that's still good. Oh, you're you're ecstatic to do that. Um, so, and the card just... It just ended games that otherwise I might have petered out. You know, Modern Dredge has um, has things like uh, Conflagrate to end games. If their creatures get trumped on the battlefield, either just kill all their creatures and attack or just burn them out directly. Uh, <coughs> and, uh, like, Legacy Dredge just goes so wide with Bridge from Below and Icarid that it usually, like, doesn't really peter out. But this deck can. Like, you're you're making three right. threes and two twos and one ones. Uh, you, know, you know, if they're, if your Gurmag Angler gets answered or, you know, they play a, you know, they're 5-5 five, five of their own or 6-6 six, six or whatever, uh, you know, they can take control of the battlefield and you don't have a lot of recourse uh, other than burning them out with Creeping Chill and then finding one of your finishers. And before the... the Initial major finisher in the deck was uh, driven to despair, where you would uh, cast generally the despair half. I don't, I didn't cast the driven half all day, uh, but the despair half giving your creatures menace and making them. I see Tannen looking at his screen and turning his head sideways, so I assume he's reading. Despair. I am, yeah. Um, and <laughs> gives your creatures menace, and uh, when that whenever they connect, your opponent discards a, uh, a card, a card from their hand. Yeah. Uh, so it's the menace is actually the really big right. part to breaking through. Uh, stalled boards the discard part is really good against combo and uh and control decks where your decimator actually isn't that good because they um decimator is fine against combo but against control like it's hard to set up uh so despair takes on a a huge role there but against any creature matchup like you just dig for that card and sacrifice one of your things and like it just pushes through all those board stalls so I'm a big fan of a lot of the combos that you mentioned. Like Haunted Dead with Decimator Provinces seems awesome to me because, like you said, it makes it makes it only cost five, but it you know leaves behind at least one body. You know, you get the one. I one. mean, between you have su- Stitcher Supplier, Narcomoeba, Seder Wayfinder, Spirits from Haunted Dead. You have so many one ones. Yeah, around. and people don't want to trade cards for Stitcher Supplier, Seder Wayfinder. I remember you saying that like uh, Chain Roller was actually a pretty good card against you because it does kind of clean up the board a little bit and keeps your you know keeps provinces from decimating too much you know you know possibly yes. as well but who you know if, if you can do anything else to your man you're not gonna be like shocking their Seder wayfinder like that's just not a good use of your card or your time and so people might have to think about that you know going forward and stuff but i can actually see a lot of reasons why you kind of gravitate towards it. not only were you like a dredge fan in the in the past but the play patterns of this deck and the way that it plays kind of reminds me of is it phoenix from modern and like you always preached about how you had to like set up your cantrips the right way. You know, like you always wanted to faithless looting last kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you actually do that a lot with this deck yeah. and, and I'm sort of at that, that point where like, you know, when I was a couple weeks in with the Phoenix deck where I felt pretty good, but I wasn't really settled on how to play with the cantrips yet. And I'm kind of that way with this deck too, um, because there's a lot of little things, you know, uh, I know against the, the chunky red decks, you often want to play. I often wanted to play my Seder Wayfinders, especially on the draw on turn two, because um, then you could trade it off with a Goblin Rabble Master token. One of the easy ways to lose that matchup is to get run over by a Rabble Master really quickly. So keeping that in check is important. Um, you know, there's sort of a trade off against Chain Whirler, but I know I knew Dylan Hand didn't have Chain Whirlers in his list, so that was easy. Um, and then. But with uh, with Gather the Pack and Grizzly Salvage, 
you know, there's a couple little things that go on. Like Salvage, you can play at instant speed, which might have value. Um, salvage costs black mana where, or where Gather is colorless. So sometimes you can, like, save yourself a point of damage sequencing in a certain way. You know, you have to try to figure out, like, you know, do I need to make extra land ops right now? If I'm more land light, I'll play Sato Wayfinder early. If I'm more land heavy, I feel freer playing some of the other creatures or other enablers earlier because they dig a little bit harder. And maybe that gives me, like, you know, that one extra prized amalgam or hits the Narcomoeba that I need. Uh, you just sort of never know. So th there is a... It, it's not super obvious how to order the cantrips in the deck. Um, and, and you kind of have to gauge, you know, on a case-by-case -case basis, like what, you know, you need at that point. Do I value the body on Wayfinder? Do I value the instant speed here? Do I need to dig hard? What exactly am I looking for? So really, like, think deeply about that, especially when you're playtesting, because you don't have a ton of time, um, you know, in matches in the tournament. Uh, because those little things will just cost you, you know, a percentage point here or there. And I know, like, it's funny that you brought up Is It Phoenix because now that I think about it, I see, you know, I see some parallels where like when when I you know was obviously on Twitter a lot, uh, doing well in the classic with Sultai Dredge, and I've seen some people like just sort of talk down the deck about like how they're not having good results with it, and it seems kind of mediocre. And it is, um, you know, it's kind of finicky. Sometimes you do, you do have a fail rate. Your uh, power, your cards are a little underpowered on their own, you know. Yeah, like... yeah, and if if you just you know have one bad dredge here or, or one bad hit here or there one bad enabler like that can set you behind a really a full turn and be really devastating um but you know you got to do these little things right to really maximize it and minimize that fail rate the same thing was true of phoenix you know that first you know when i first played it in vegas remember at the team open the and we were still refining the list to, to be fair so that initial list was if you looked at it you know two months later and looked back at that initial list, it looked really bad. You had, like, chart a um, course in your deck. Yeah, <laughs> some, like, I had, like, three of them. Yeah. Not just, like, one chart of course. I had three. I had Fiery Temper still. Um, but, you know, the, I, I found a lot of people like, just doing things that I wasn't doing. You know, they were firing off their Faithless Leadings way too aggressively. They were, um, you know, just ordering their cantrips awkwardly so that they like, wouldn't see the maximum number of cards. And so that for those first couple weeks, I had some people be like, ah, I like, tried out the Phoenix deck. It looked, seemed okay, but... You know, sometimes I just did like busted stuff and sometimes it just sort of fell flat on its face. And it's like, well, you know, you're going to get more of the busted side of things and less of the you know, fail rate side of things if you really work at it and maximize those percentages. Yeah, I was going to say, because I got to sit next to you with you playing that deck a lot. And then I played it in a few tournaments myself, including a few opens. You know, like there's the open where we all played the same 75 when you could one of the, what is that, non-unified is what they call it, right? Yeah. And I remember like, you know, watching you a lot, I have learned how to sequence with the deck a lot more. And it's like you said, you know, you want to make make sure you maximize. There's so many times where on turn one, I could have cast like Faithless Looting. I'm like, I'm not casting Faithless Looting here. But when you played in that manner, and I'm, I'm assuming it works for this deck as well, because I haven't played with the Dredge deck, though it's on my list of things I want to try, because I do think this deck is good. Um, when you sequence more correctly, when you use your stuff to their fullest value... Yeah, you're still not gonna have the game. You're still not always gonna have busted draws, right? You're not always gonna have 13 power and play on turn two or whatever, like you said. But yeah. your average goes up. Like your your average game is is has more game. It's better, and like that's how I felt with Phoenix. Is like I had less when I started figuring out how to really canter. I mean, canter correctly with the deck or sequence my stuff correctly. I had less games where I petered out or it was all or nothing. Like I felt like the first couple times I played the game, either my draws were busted or they were bad. And then once the bad started like creeping into better, 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 and they started getting like 
Because even your decent draws were good enough in a lot of games, and then you still had that potential to do just busted things. Yep. Uh, and that's really what I felt like playing this deck as well. Um, and, you know, there's not a ton of room to maneuver with the deck list. I like Timurat Calls the Dead from Theros Beyond Death as a potential new addition, because I think that card is quite powerful. It's a little hard on the curve, uh, because one of the issues with Sultai Dredge is you just don't have a lot of one-mana plays, and you have a lot of two-mana plays. Yeah, I've noticed, yeah. Um, I, w I really wanted to go up to a fourth angler just to have more things to do uh, at one mana, and while you can't play angler turn one, you often would pl play, like, enabler turn two, third land, enabler turn three, angler. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe you hit a Narcomoeba and a and a prized amalgam in that stuff and you, maybe you have a Seder Rayfinder and now you have an, a Gurmag Angler suddenly you're looking at you know 10 power you've made on turn 3 maybe you've chilled them once and now and you still have you know a pretty full grip because your Wayfinder and your Grizzly Salvage let's say replace themselves so you've really only deployed one card from your hand so if you're on the play yeah you still have a 5 card hand if you're on the draw you have a 6 card hand and you have 10 power on turn 3 and you've Lightning Helix them and you can just go from there and start to work towards your more powerful endgame cards or work towards just finding a bunch of amalgams with a Haunted Dead and like going wide things like that so uh, I really really wanted the fourth angler the Scrap Heap Scroungers were kind of meh I was about to say uh, I think I would cut a Scrap Heap Scrounger if I wanted an angler just yeah. looking at the list like just from an outside perspective yeah outside of, of if Timur Calls the Dead doesn't pan out then I think the main deck I have here with just fourth angler, one scrounger is exactly where I want to be. All right, and then the the where there's a lot of room to improve with this deck is the sideboard. Yeah, you know, I had this deck put together mainly uh, in paper. I had it put together mainly for challenges for BCW, mm -hmm. so I didn't have a sideboard built <laughs> when I went to play. And I was like, yeah, what do I want? I've been trying these things. I know I like trophy. Don't really like decay. Um, you know, I, I like having one creature that answers Rest in Peace and Leyline that I can dig for. So I played a Reclamation Sage. I think it's better than Caustic Caterpillar. That's really true because you can find it with Gathered Pack or Grizzly Salvage. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I, I wanted a second copy of Driven Despair against combo and control decks. Uh, you know, got some Thought like Seizes for that matchup as well. Yeah, exactly. And then, uh, you know, I like Ultimate Price because it's just really good against Mono Black and Mono Red, which are the two most popular decks. And, you know, things slow down. You want to kill some stuff in the post board games. So a little bit of removal. And then, like, I had a lot of extra slots to play with. I ended up playing a bunch of Damping Spheres, mainly for the Lotus Field deck, because that seems like a bad matchup. And I just never played against it, never brought in Damping Sphere the entire day. Like, just didn't feel good. Lotus Field is not that popular, so those are cuttable. It's definitely on the decline, for sure. Yeah. I, I liked the Disdainful Stork. I brought it in a couple times. Liked what it did. I think it, it has applications against the ramp deck, which is why I put it in. I think it's also quite good against Soul Flayer. Okay. So that deck is just sort of all or all or nothing right. on the card Soul Flayer. So which I kind of like it. That deck's seeing a little bit of an uptick in play. So Exactly. So I, I, I've liked the one Disdainful Stroke. It's a little cheeky. You know, <laughs> you only have six blue lands, but you do have four salvage, four Seder Ray. And the impact is so them. huge, right? Like, if you cast that card, you're yeah. probably winning the game. <laughs> now, yeah. You did mention that uh, Mono Black and Mono Red were the two most popular decks, and we kind of alluded to the reason. One of the reasons you picked this deck and why I liked its choice was it had a, a favorable Mono Red matchup. How do you feel about that Mono Black matchup? Um, so I've played Mono Black less um, you know, on paper. I'm a little scared of them, like you know, coming out quickly and putting me on the back foot if I stumble. But the thing that I found is that unlike the Mono Red matchup against Mono Black, like your recursive threats trade effectively. Even your like the random one ones that you play, you know it, they might bring theirs back, but like 
they're just bringing it back and making another 2-1. You're bringing things back and eventually setting up something really big, like Decimator or a big Driven to Despair turn, and you're usually chilling them in the meantime, so like it's harder for them to turn the corner because the life totals are always favoring you. Um, it's hard and yeah, then, it's hard to raise a deck that like can keep up creature-wise that also just randomly creeping chills you, uh, like a, you know, yeah. a time or two during the game. Yeah. yeah, I think without creeping chill, that matchup would be pretty dicey because they'd be able to just sort of uh, you know, come out of the gates quickly and rush you, especially if they're in the play. But like, you know, that they they don't have a ton of removal. They have a, they have a good amount for an aggro deck. I'll give them that. But they just don't do anything super powerful. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable going into the late game against them, which is a good place to be as you know any graveyard deck. The the one thing that <coughs> I, I played the matchup once in the tournament, and I think it was in round five when I was playing for five zero, and. Uh, in game, uh, I won game one like super easily. I won the die roll. I think uh, I remember my opponent just conceding with two Bloodsoak Champions in play, uh, and they went, yeah, they they went turn one Thoughtseize, turn two double Bloodsoak Champion, turn three concede. <laughs> Did you just have the nuts like you have supplier uh, into? Yeah, I just had, I just like probably had, like a double amalgam draw or something like that, like multiple enablers, and uh, you know they were just so far behind, and their two ones never did anything. Um, and but game two got really dicey. Because uh, it took me a little while to get going, and then I didn't really turn the corner, so we were kind of staring at each other. And their life total was pretty low, and uh, I think they were at five. And I'm trying to set up a decimator of the province's turn, but I just like can't find the decimator. And my opponent finds a pack rat, which I did, uh, and I looked afterwards, but the mono black decks apparently have, are starting to adopt pack rat, which is interesting, and that's a scary card for me because it dominates the battlefield. And they had Mutavault too. And it got to the point where they had four pack rats in play and two Mutavaults, but they still couldn't attack because I could like and any attack they made, like I could make good blocks and like get a good crack back. And so they were just biding their time. And eventually I found the decimator and I had to attack with just three flyers. I had a Narcomoeba and two spirit tokens, but they just had a rankle and they were five. So I like I didn't even attack with the pig. You just pumped my flyers and I got it. Nice. I was say uh, thinking about how pack rat works out, if you don't if you give them any time in pack rat, you probably have to have decimator to kill them. I think at that point, unless you're just yeah, chipping once, away. Once it gets to four, once it gets to like four four, yeah, yeah, you know, it's just so big. Yeah, but I mean, this deck's really good at finding decimator, right? Like you only have two copies, but you technically have a lot more copies. You know, when it yeah, comes between to... gather and salvage, you just find it so often, right? It's... And you don't have to take the card that's revealed from salvage or gather, right? Like if the card's already in your graveyard. Oh no! You have to take among those. You five. have to take among those five. I was like, which one was the one where you didn't? I thought one of them you didn't have to. There was a there's colorless green instant mill three return something from your graveyard either a creature or land. That's what it's. It is, um, yeah. God, what was that one? It was in all the emerge decks. Yeah, standard. I'm trying to think. I can't. I can't think of the name of it. But yeah, that card was sweet. That card was really good. Yeah. 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 I I've I thought about trying to like put one in my deck so I'd have like an out to return decimator, but like you can't search for that. Yeah. Um. If there was some like some individual creature that would that's like a good grave digger, but there's no one that are mana efficient enough to be worth playing, and honestly, like you would probably just play a third decimator yeah. in any of those spots. Um, but yeah, I didn't have trouble finding it. You know, I I would say forty to fifty percent of my games ended with just a decimator being cast. Nice. Uh, maybe I maybe I would have won a lot of those anyway. Oh yeah, true. Um, I'm not sure, but a good number of them like I would not have won without it, or like. You know, I in the game three of the semifinals, I just turned forward my hardened scales opponent. <laughs> Literally went like, you know, enabler, enabler, you know, make some creatures, and then on turn four I went land four, Gurmag Angler, Decimator attack you. 
Oh, that's actually kind of insane. That's that's absurd, actually. I didn't yeah. think of the fact that yeah, you can just was... play the haunted. I mean, sorry, the uh, the the, uh, the what am I doing here? The Gurmag Angler for one mana. Oh. So I'm looking through your yep. list. The Gurmag Angler for one mana because I was looking at the the mana cost, and then you could just green 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 kill you. Like that's actually just good deck building. I, I like that a lot. And honestly, like I, I was relieved. I was scared of those hardened scales decks. Uh, you know, there were three five O's at the end of round five. There's a 127-person classic. They initially announced it as eight rounds, and then they got a no-show or two, and it put us just barely down into seven rounds. So we're almost as big as you can be at seven rounds. If there were no draws, the 5-0s would not have been able to double draw. As it turned out, two of us got to with the way things broke out. Um, so that was fortunate. But w when I was 5-0, the other two 5-0s were two hardened skills decks, and they're the ones that finished third and fourth, right? Yeah, they both lost in the semis. All right, I gotta ask this: What were you afraid of playing besides scales? Since you kind of mentioned, you know, you were worried about playing that deck. What's something you need to look out for when you're playing this deck? I mean, scales. I think Lotus Field, which is why I have the you know very targeted hate in the sideboard. So the, those sorts of combo decks can be tough because any any combo deck is really just going to ignore what you, the recursive nature of your threats, and so you have to come out quickly. And you know, you're not always going to do that. Uh, and so you don't get to play that mid-range game that graveyard decks are really good at doing. You know, I think Dredge has this sort of misnomer that it's this you know, balls-to-the-wall combo deck that just floods the battlefield. And it can do that sometimes. That's why it has that reputation, because people do see that potential. But the real strength of the decks are resi is resiliency. You know, they're very hard to interact with, except for these targeted hate cards. Your removal is bad. You know, you don't want to be trading creatures with them, but it's hard not to, because they're usually ahead. And they now have creep control, so they're usually ahead in a race. Um... But the, the, you know, any deck that can either play to the battlefield and trump you, which is what I think Hardened Scales does, and the the, uh, the game I lost in the semis, you know, they just got Hardened Scales and Walking Ballista going and just controlled by battlefield. I could never do anything. And, but the, the combo decks just straight up ignore you. You know, and, and right now Lotus Field is the best combo deck. But things like Jeskai Ascendancy would be scary too, where you just don't have, you know, uh, disruption. They just go turn three Ascendancy, turn four, kill you. There's not much you can do about that. Uh, until you get to sideboard. Um, I'm looking at the other decks from this classic. This uh, this Boris Heroic deck might be a problem, because they can also like sort of dominate the battlefield and go to the, the air with Feather, but they're they're just a little inconsistent, which is what I found. Like, I liked this deck early on. I remember we talked about this quite a bit. hasn't really caught on. It's been really on the fringes, and I think inconsistency has been a big reason for that. There's just not a lot of ways to, you know, mitigate your draws and make sure you don't flood with this deck. Um, but that one could be scary. Uh, this mono-white aggro deck could also be scary from Steven Dykeman. Um, they just get, you know, they're very low to the ground. They get out quickly, and they just... These white decks generate such a huge battlefield with all of the anthems. And if you look at his list, he's got four Benelish Marshall, four Loxodon, four Always Watching. So, like, his creatures look like one-twos. They're going to be three-fours pretty often. And that's and if there are three fours of vigilance because I'm always watching, you know, I'm there's nothing I can do. Also, brave the elements and deck and stone, while one ofs in the main deck, those and there's three more brave the elements in the sideboard. Those can change a game quite a bit in this matchup. Yeah, yeah, d definitely. So you know, just so, anything that really controls the battlefield well um, and does it without needing a bunch of removal spells, uh, you know. Mono Black can control the battlefield, but only when they're ahead, and it's hard for them to do that against me because of Creeping Chill. Mono Red controls the battlefield but with removal, 
they're doing it with Glorybringer, with Chain Whirler, with Bone Crusher, with you know their cheap burn spells. Um, but otherwise, they're they're trying to race. So that's why I like that matchup. But like, you know, Hardened Scales with Walking Ballista and they're really powerful synergies. Really low to the ground, hyper aggressive decks, um, and especially this white version because of all the anthems. So that even if they're not able to race me because of, you know if I hit like double chill or something like that, they're able to slow down and say, okay, I've got you know a bunch of four power creatures now. There's even there and there's Thalia's Lieutenant in these decks, right? I must admit. Oh no! Oh wow! Dykeman's not playing Thalia's Lieutenant. That's really interesting. There's 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 two different four ofs. Well, I'm sorry. There's a four of that's not a human, and there's a two of that's not a human in the deck. So maybe that's just the reason why I didn't want to get into too many situations where it's not good. It's not good and, enough. And he's got legions landing. So it's really if, if you look at if you count landings of creatures, you got 33 creatures, and 10 of them aren't human, so 23. Um, but it looks to me like Dykeman just really likes always watching. Um, but that's really interesting. This Mutalt is uh, ambitious with four Benelish Marshall. But yeah, whatever. Interestingly, he's not playing Lieutenant. I wonder how good always watching was for him. Um, I don't know. Mutavault helps uh, flip over Legion's Landing, which helps which helps cast your triple white spells. So Mutavault's just one of the best cards in Pioneer right now. So <laughs> and one of my favorite cards. So you don't have to try hard to convince me, but when you're playing a twenty land deck with four Benelish Marshall, you know you're you're pushing it. So if we look at some of the other decks that you know, I should talk about the fact that there's three big red decks. In this top eight, you know they're calling it big red. It's chunky red, mid range red, whatever, whatever the hell you want to you want to call it. But the deck that's been taking the format by storm over the last week, week and a half, two weeks, uh, we this is the default best. Yeah, deck. We, we called it the default best deck, and this is why I liked your deck choice so much. You, you picked a deck that was good in this matchup, but still wasn't bad in other ones. You know, we saw it do really, really well here. But if we move over to the Pioneer Challenge, the tournament that goes on over the weekend on Magic Online, uh, we don't see as much, but we do see. One deck well overrepresented in this top eight. It was what second place, third place, and what was the other one? Fourth place and sixth. There's four in this. Uh, top there's eight. four in this top eight. It's four of these: two red, an Azorius control, and mono black. And so the three, what are, those are like the three top decks mm-hmm. right now, as far as I'm concerned. So they're all there, and then this deck has four copies. And this is, of course, of course, this is the Bring to Light Niv Mizzet Reborn deck. Yeah. We've got Azorius, we've got red, we've got black, but we were just missing green, so we just add that. Yeah. We just com- we combine four. So it's got four Teferi in it, three niv Reborn, four Sylvan Carrioted, four Bring to Light, and then just pretty much nothing but one-ups. <laughs> like, there's a two-of randomly smattered in here. There's like four Fabled Passage, obviously. But if you look at the land count, it's 26 lands. I think there's like 20-something unique lands in this deck. There's like 23 unique lands or 22 like, unique lands. It's like 21. Yeah. Four Fable Passage is a is a nice one. Yeah, and I mean this deck has some heaters in it because you've got a bunch <laughs> of one ofs and stuff in here. But in a, I mean almost every card is multicolored. Ross, uh, why? Like what? What? You know, we've seen a little bit of the of this in Modern too, um, and I I never really get these decks, but what I do know about them. They do really powerful things. Yeah. Have right? you seen a Niv Mizzet Resolve before? <laughs> I've, I've seen it quite a bit on Versus it's Live. Don't worry. It's super scary. <laughs> yeah. It usually draws like three cards. But five mana, six, six flyer, draw three cards, and they're all spells and they're all bangers. You know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> also, I think uh, one of the reasons that 
I think there's a decent chance that one of the reasons we've seen an uptick in this deck, and especially of its popularity, is uh, I know Gabriel Nassif has been streaming this deck a lot lately. Uh, this has been like his Pioneer deck of choice mostly. He's had a, a bunch of Fibos with it online that have been posted. And, you know, the, you got to mention the fact that when you get to watch someone like of his caliber play the deck, you get to watch how he sideboards, the plays that he makes, that goes a long way in helping your playtesting ability. You know, you've got a leg yeah. up. Especially when I when I'm just starting out with a deck, I love to yeah. watch you know an experienced pilot get just a little bit, uh, a little taste of what they're doing with it, and and does help quite a bit. And look, this deck, I mean, it, like I said, it's doing really powerful stuff. If it gets to five mana, it's gonna start slamming haymakers, and it doesn't ever run out of gas because of Nibbins mm. uh, and Bring Delight finding just really powerful one ofs. Um, now, when you know the mono black deck was as good as it was. Uh, with Smuggler's Copter, and there was Field of the Dead in the format taking over the end game. Mm -hmm. This deck, which do sort of dominates in the mid game, was kind of squeezed out. Yeah, I don't think this deck's like playable in that format. Yeah, but now we see a metagame where the mono black deck's a little bit slower. You see, they have a little bit more removal in their deck. Their curve's a little higher. Now they're like four rankle, maybe some spawn of mayhems, uh, because there's no real like other good two drop for them to play. Some of the black decks are going even bigger with the Vampire version, with Sorin and Champion of Dusk. And then the red decks are this mid-range style, this chonky red. So, you know, people are playing these mid-range attrition battles uh, a lot in the metagame in Pioneer. And that's where this deck shines. So it's not super surprising to see it show up, um, you know, in, in such force. Yeah, you know, anytime you see a deck take second, third, fourth, and sixth in a tournament, and there's more here in the top 16. And it's not like everybody just sort of scraped in. I think it was one more. Yeah, 13th. Is, it, is there another? No. So um, I'm taking a look at this deck, and I'm loving how all over the place it is, and like the one-ofs. You know what I really want to do with this deck? You know you can do like the sample hand generators? You can like do it and like <laughs> take an opening hand. I just want to take screenshots of it, because this deck has Supreme Verdict next to Abrupt Decay. And then if you go over just a little bit, there's a forest in the deck. So... Uh, there are some probably some really sweet hands to be had in this one where you're like, I have this card that costs white, white, blue. This this other one, like, you know, Colagon's Command that has black, red in it. And then I've got a forest. Yeah, I uh, I imagine your draws with Sylvan Carry added are a whole lot different than your draws without. Yeah, and I gotta say this. It's something I wouldn't think of if I just, you know, was like randomly playing a tournament. But if I, let's say I'm playing blue-white control and I have a way... Like, you know, there's not a lot of ways to kill seven carries when it's in play, but if you could counterspell on the way down, I think I'm snapping it off every time against this deck. Like, this seems like the key, like the best card. Also, I mean, they have like a bunch of Teferis in their deck, so you want to kind of make sure you get your, your value from your counterspells when you can. Yeah, but though you do also want to counter those Teferis. Yeah, you also want to counter those Teferis, but like, the fact that it carries it lets the whole deck just be cast is kind of scary, because I think you can strand multiple cards in their hand if you if you hit a carry it somehow. Look at this Surak Dragon Claw in the sideboard. I don't know, this is the second place list. Oh, I'm seeing it. The other ones have it. So you go end of turn Surak. Like, okay, you counter that. Untap, Niv, is it? There's nice control deck, Udi. Yeah, I'm looking at the cards that are in the sideboards. They're so sweet. There's a Surak. You said there's a Rakdos Return, uh, a Lavinia, Azorius Renegade. Like, the, the the thing with this deck is you you never know their range, right? It's it's pretty much every card that's castable. Like. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Anytime I play against this deck, I'm just, I have no idea what they could do to me, and uh, it's it's paralyzing. Ross, there's a there's a psychic intrusion in this sideboard. Yeah, I don't even know what that card does. I, I had to read it. 
Three blue-black, target opponent reveals their hand. You choose a non-land card from that player's graveyard or hand and exile it. You may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. Okay. I guess, is that for the mirror? I, that's what I was wondering. Is like, this do, a mirror? Do you steal their niv I'm not sure. It does, Urban okay, light? so it is like a Thoughtseize effect, right? Like, it takes the one big payoff, and then you can possibly, you know, cast it later, which is cool. This seems like a commander card to me. <laughs> like, don't worry like it. Well, it's, it's like a, you know, it's meant for these mid-range attrition battles. Right, right. And uh, as a haymaker, so it, it's got to be more for the mirror than anything else. But sure, that's a sweet card for the mirror. If, I would get blown out by it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Rakdos has returned people. Yeah, d- just do whatever you want. Yeah. This doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm looking at the other list, and there's like, I, I see a Solar Blaze. I've never seen that card cast in my entire life. Uh, there's a Blood Baron. Viscopa in this sideboard. There's another Sark Dragon Claw. Apparently, Sark Dragon Claw is a a sacred cow in the sideboard of this deck list. Well, Azorius Control has been pretty popular recently. It's down a little bit, but still very much around. And like these kind of decks that play quite a bit of removal and you have Sylvan Carry added and 26 lands and a bunch of powerful threats that cost four, five, and six mana are usually easy pickings for the Absorb deck. So you see a pretty heavy. Um, concession know, to that, like trying to beat that kind yeah, of Yeah, concession to that. Four Maynook Teferis in all these lists. Surak in the, every sideboard. I see lists with Mystical Dispute. Um, so def- And, you know, Thought Erasure, other discards. So they're definitely respecting those decks and making mm. sure that they're prepared after sideboard. I'm having fun just going through all the lists and looking at the sideboards. Like, I'm seeing Dragonlord Dramoka in another one, along with, like, Kaya, Orzhov Usurper, uh, another Rector, a Scarab God, and Unmoored Ego. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. some sweet stuff in here. What is the? I wonder what the overlap is. If you took all four of the lists in the top eight and like figured out what the intersection of those four lists was, mm-hmm. how many cards would it be? It looks like it's quite a it's bit. Quite I think a their bit. mana bases are all exactly the same. It's just one of every every dual land, basically. And then like one or two <laughs> and, of the important then, ones. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then four Fable Passage, one of every basic. I seen Opulent Palace. That's kind of cool. Yeah, they do have and a Trilander or two in here, which is really cool. There's yeah. a, there's a Sandstep Citadel. In here as well. I mean, when you're mana, when you're trying to cast five mana spells that are five different colors, you got to do what you got to do. I will say this: if you like mid range decks or you like value, you like commander like feeling when you're you're playing it, this is a deck for you. This deck is sweet. I will say this: it's going to be hard for you to just have this deck lying around, you know, because like I have like entire decks lying around, but I don't know if I have like these one of copies of some of these cards, you know, like. <laughs> You know, you see these one of, of like, Tolzmir, you know, Hostage Taker, Blood Baron of Azoka, Rascal Golgari Queen, you know, Utter End, Kolagon's Command. You know, like, I might have these things. I'm going to have to go check. And they go through, like, my bulk, rare, and mythic stuff, you know. But I like this deck. I think it's really cool. I would definitely play... You know what? If if I was still in BCW doing the BCW challenges, I think this would be my Pioneer deck for the for the BCW challenges. Oh, good luck. Good luck with that. Um... It's also it's like the most expensive deck in the format because it's just all rares. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> not not hard. I, I definitely have the mana base. I definitely own this entire mana base. <coughs> I think that's a that's a big part of it. I know I have some Niv Mizzets, but not sure about the rest of the stuff. I have the Teferis too, which are expensive. But anyway, that's not whether people are listening to find out what my collection looks like. But yeah, I think this was like a breakout deck this weekend. And it's one of those things, it's like, do you think we'll see this in paper as much as we see it online? I feel like people online are a little more willing to take risks in their in their deck choice you know you have people being a little more safe when they travel to an event and like pay money out of pocket to play in it than when you're just like sitting at home in your boxers playing on magic online yeah 
I also think the online metagame is just a little bit more advanced usually. Uh, you know, the, the weekend metagame is usually what the online metagame is looking like towards the end of that week. And by Monday, like, the online is already past where they were on the weekend. I've definitely fallen prey to that before, where, like, I've been one step too far ahead of a tournament. You know, I played the deck that was good the next week and got just trounced in the next week. It, like, easily won the tournament. I'm like, son of a bitch, you know? like, <laughs> Why am I so smart? Yeah, but so stupid at the same time. So, you know, you just go too far ahead. You're like, well, everyone's going to do this, and then the other people are going to do this, so I'm going to do this. It's like, no, you should have just done level two, which was good enough to beat all the level one that was going on. You know? Yep, I've I've made my entire career on being on level two. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely tried to do that more uh, as the end of it went on. But uh, so speaking of pioneer and speaking of events, I know you and I were talking about this a little bit. Um, you got to get kind of geared up here coming up, right? A lot of big pioneer coming at the next like what? It's it's almost every event from here on out that's big. About the next in the next month, right? You know, there's a, there's a limited Grand Prix I think coming up in New Jersey. I, there's nothing really this weekend because it's Theros Beyond Death uh, pre-release. Uh, so we've got this pre-release off, and then we've got, uh, you know, I've got another weekend off. But then it's two team opens in a row, so you'll see a good amount of Pioneer there, and we'll see it with Theros Beyond Death. And then... And hey, I, I gotta say this. I, I firmly believe, even though we do have a new modern format, I think those are gonna be the two formats they showcase the most on, on camera. Is the new modern format, because we just had a huge shake-up there, and... You know, this is they're getting pioneer on camera, so like you're yeah. gonna see that a lot. It, it is Theros Beyond Death in standard too, so I, th I honestly True. like these team events seem like they're just gonna be great because I, I'm actually excited about every format. I've got different teams for each team event, and so I, and I've got to talk with them this week about what formats everybody's playing. And while I would generally prefer to play Pioneer, I'm like I'm not upset to play any of these three formats right now. Yeah, I was joking with you because we were trying to see, like I was going to step in for somebody for Philly, you know, if I needed to step in, and uh, and all the chat. Oh, yeah, by the way, we we don't need you. Yeah, Hannah. fine. Yeah. I I hadn't told him before. Sure, this, it's it's completely fine. Now he's now he's fine. Yeah, out. It, I. I when you hadn't messaged me about it the last couple of days, I did my own, you know, like one plus one equals two kind of thing. But um, I'm glad you can count. Yeah. God, I hate you so much. <laughs> and, uh, but no, like a lot of the chats that were going on all this when we were talking about it over the last week, every one of them was the same thing. I would shotgun no modern. And I was like, I will play standard if I have to. I would prefer to play pioneer. And now I'm just like, well, all these formats might be great. Yeah. Whatever. I'm not so, I'm not so sure about standard. That one I'm still very skeptical of. I, I was going to be like you but with a little bit more willingness to play standard with a couple weeks to prepare. Yeah. Um but now with the postman modern it seems sweet like is there still an Urza deck? Can we like are Titan decks just way too good? Like what what's going on? I don't can, know. Can you can you cast Elver of Secrets again? That's all I want to know. Is that uh, is that no. a thing? I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to laugh. I'm going to laugh. The next time I see you, I, kind of, I hope we get to test for this event. I'm just going to build a Delver deck online, and I'm just going to destroy you with it over and over and over again. And then you're going to get hooked. You're going to play it in the open. It's going to be terrible. And I'm going to laugh really hard. And then you're that gonna, already happens. So. Yeah, it happens a lot. And then you're going to do really well at the Classic the next day. It's completely fine. But so it's not just the uh, the team opens, right, that, that the Pioneer is going to be at. There's Yeah, there's also the regional players tour that'll be simultaneous with SCG Philadelphia. And... That's going to be the first time we see a real big spotlight on Pioneer, and we're going to see uh, if we're going to see if the 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 pros can get something right that we haven't yet. You know, if they, if they yeah, find you know, it, it, is there an awesome Heliod Ballista deck? Is there something that everybody has just missed? You know, we've we've only been you know, uh, it feels like longer, but this format is only three months old. Is it is it really only three? Like, I do not believe you when you say that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that just sounds wrong. 
It was like October twenty first. You know what it is? It so it's like it's like in all those sci fi movies when they clone something and they have to give it the accelerant so it doesn't just take the full <laughs> yeah. amount of time for it to reach maturity because that's what that's what Watsy did. They gave us this format and they're like, yo, we're changing it every damn week. We're injecting that HGH right into the into the format, making this thing grow up fast. That's what's happened. But you know, when I think back to the early days of modern. It took quite a while to find some of the modern decks that we now think of as great. Like Amulet Titan was not, it was around for a while. You know, the pieces existed, but it, it took a while for somebody to figure that one out. I thought it was a joke the first time I saw it, too. I was like, yeah, what same. is going on here? You know, Lantern Control, uh, Bogles, I remember, came out like, so the Modern was announced for a Pro Tour in early September, and it was announced in, in like August of 2010. And, uh, it was like that January, so like three months into Modern is when somebody first played Bogles and they like crushed a M- Moto PTQ with it because nobody like was prepared. Uh, you know that that first PTQ season for Modern happened in that winter from like you know January to April maybe, and it was towards the end of that season that I first started seeing Tron decks. Back then they were Gruel and they played Grove of the Burn Willows and Manic Pyroclasm because everybody was playing that Jeskai Delver deck with Geist of St. Draft and Steplinks um, and a bunch of burn spells. And so they, they had all these It just these sounds so bad. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like four Worm Coil engines, because you didn't have any, like, Ugins or Ulamogs or anything. Um, and Worm Coil was just, like, awesome against Jund. Uh, so, like, you know, Tron took almost a year to find. And that's now just a staple deck of the format. So That was Gindy, right? Gindy, like, won a PTQ uh, online? Yeah, I think... I don't know if he was literal first, but I, he was the first big name that ever, like, started tuning the deck and showing up with it. I still remember seeing it online, like, seeing the result online. I had a PTQ that weekend. I remember seeing the seeing it online. I literally dropped what I was doing, got in my car, drove to the my LGS, and was like, I need a lot of commons and uncommons. And they were like, what do you... I was like, I need, like, every chromatic ancient star. Stirrings. Yeah, ancient <laughs> stirrings, chromatic star, chromatic sphere. I think it was playing, like... What was the red green talisman? You know the the, the yeah, talisman it was of playing like two or three dominance or whatever. I think you're right. I think it's dominance. Wh- whichever one it is, I, th- I feel like that might be blue black like impulse. It might be indulgence, it, yeah. or is that bl- black red? I- I'm very curious. Now Ross is looking it up as I as I keep talking, but we may have got it right. We may have not have gotten that one right. I was right. It's impulse. It's impulse. Okay. No, no, no. You are right. Actually, as soon as you said that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. The dominance is Demir and. Um, the other one you said uh, was Rakdos. Yeah, I had those like in my mind. For, I could see the artwork of them as well. I played in that limited format. That was like one of the first formats I started playing like competitive Magic in. So I remember those. But man, that deck was a black. People had no idea what you were doing. Yeah, and it was yeah, and they were not prepared for it. You know, people weren't playing like Ghost Quarters and things like that. So you just got your Tron and we're good to go. Um, I didn't understand the mulligan rule back then, by the way. I don't mean the rule of actual mulligan. I mean the rule of mulligan with Tron. Like, you've sat next to me through an entire tournament where I've played Tron before, and you've seen the average amount of cards I have in my opening hand, and it's like five and a half. You know? Yeah, that sounds about yeah, right. It's like five and a half, and you're perfectly fine. That is not a complaint. I'm happy, because I only need four of them to kill you. Yeah, I know. So, you know, the, the that's the real question, I think, going into this player's tour, is what have we missed? And the word I'm getting from people is not like, you know, we've broken it, we, we have it all figured out. It's, they're looking at this chonky red deck that is the best deck, and they're like, there is no way this is actually supposed to be the best deck yeah. in this format. Like, I get it, it's good, like, it's got consistent mana and good cards, but like, but it's not, when we think of what are the best decks in the in eternal formats, it's things that are a notch above 
what Chonky Red is doing. It doesn't have that like super inherent powerful feeling, right? Yeah, it doesn't jump off the page at you. No, this one, it's it's actually the opposite, right? Like you're like, okay, like Glorybringer, yeah, obviously that card's really, really powerful, but like you're like the Soul Scar Mage deck with without a ton of things that trigger Soul Scar Mage, you know, like for prowess, and you're like Karizev, but then you have like you're not really aggroing them down too often. But you know, I think it's just the fact that your deck is very powerful. It's very flexible. Uh, Bonecrusher Giant is just so good, by the way. I think we're starting to realize like how good that card actually is in a vacuum. Didn't get to really shine too much in Standard during its time because you had like Oko dominating everything and you just could not play red cards. And now you are. And I'm seeing people kind of moving away from Embercleave in this deck quite a bit as well, which I actually kind of like. The games that I've played with it, the card has felt like too much or too little. I see. I see one main one side a lot now. I think they want it in Mount. Like it's their like go over the top. It's like their decimator of the provinces. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so they like want a little bit of access to it, and then they want the second in certain matchups. Um, but it's not like it's a card that gets brought out quite a bit as well. Yeah, I mean, you don't have. I think too often, if like your opponent has like one or two removal spells over the span of the game, the card just costs too much on average. Especially if you just don't yeah. draw a Rabble Master. You know what I mean? You're never getting like, oh, I have four creatures in play on turn four, attack you, like, kill you very easily. Like, that that doesn't happen with this deck. Yeah, you're, you're not hitting the, the ceiling of that card's potential. Right. Sure. I mean, the card's messed up. Don't get me wrong. I, I called it when I saw this card in the spoiler. I was like, this... You, you've heard me say this. I see cards in spoilers. I'm like, I'm gonna die to that card a lot. <laughs> like, that card is going to kill me a lot, because it's the kind of card that I necessarily don't play with all the time, but I just lose to. All the time, because I know it's good, and stuff and whatever. Completely agree. But it's just not... Like it, the deck just looks solid, and that's what it is. Like it doesn't really have huge weaknesses uh, or glaring faults, so it's just a very rock solid deck. But it's not something that does anything broken. And I think there's a lot of speculation among the you know pro community and people that are playing this player store that um, while thus far, with a few exceptions, pioneers played out a lot like you know a, a powerful standard environment, where when it really should be playing out like a slightly underpowered modern, which uh, I don't know if that makes sense to you, but like... I get, I get the idea, yeah. Yeah, there's like a real difference. You know, you do a lot more interacting in standard um, than you do in modern. In modern, there's just a lot of like, my deck is doing its thing and its thing is really fucking good. Yeah, like you think someone's going to find just a like a more streamlined version of Lotus Field or something, you know, like some deck yeah. that's, I'm not looking to interact with you, but you're dead on turn four every game. Yeah. Or maybe somebody finds the Kethis deck or something yeah. like that. We haven't really found a busted combo deck beyond the obvious week one, um, you know, Sahili Felidar. No one's busted Mox Amber yet as well. That's, exactly. a, that's a card that's been on the fringes that, like, is just screaming, please get me banned, you know. And that was that was actually, a, when the format was announced, that was the top of my list of, like, this card is getting banned. Yeah. It was literally above everything else. Like, somebody's going to figure it out. And they haven't yet, so. Yeah, Emery and that card are both legal, right? Yep. Uh, and I think there's another card that is adding to the Kethis deck in this format, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I remember some people talking about it. Another thing that's been talked about on Twitter, I kind of wanted to bring it up for a second, because you, you kind of mentioned it in one of your little sayings, your, your, one of your things you were talking about a minute ago, is like, we're looking at a lot of the best decks right now, right? And I talked a lot about, like, I liked the Mono Green Ramp deck a lot. There's Mono Red, there's Mono Black. Go away from the fact that Five Color Niv-Mizzet had a kind of a breakout this weekend, but the Mono Color decks have been very good. And they, they seem to be some of the best decks right now, right? The mana bases are great. You can cast all your spells on time. You get to use Mutavault, like you said. One of the best cards in the format. 
and it's always Mutavault plus. You know, right. The mono black deck gets Castle Lockthwain. The mono red deck is Ramanap Runes and Castle Embereth. Yeah. So it's Mutavault and something else. And like the two color decks usually like get very little in the way of utility lands. And that usually can make up for the difference if you're like, oh, you don't get to splash the second color and play something powerful. You know, you're not you're not playing black for a couple extra removal spells, or whatever. But I've seen some people talking about that they think that, you know, we've talked about like the possibly there being like a Pioneer Masters, you know, we've had like Modern Masters or whatever, you know, cards getting injected into the thing. Pioneer Horizons. Pioneer Horizons, there you go. That's, that's what I was looking for. Um, maybe we should finish the cycle of some of the lands, right? Like just finish off the cycles that aren't all complete or aren't all there. Ton editors had definitely called for this the right. other day. I'm definitely, I, I want that to happen eventually. I don't want it to just be injected into the format. Like don't just, don't just willy nilly put it all into one set. Yeah. But, but I think we'll see the other pain lands and the other fast lands get reprinted at some point into standard because those are all fine for standard. Um, and the, the other thing is, if you do that, if you just inject them all immediately, you create this like weird financial like, situation where they all spike. And if you reprint them, then it'll help that. And I know the like black leaf cliffs are just really expensive because those haven't been the original cycle of those haven't been reprinted black leaf cliffs black was like 50 dollars at one point the, yeah it's come down since then i think well john isn't faithless. really good or wasn't really end good the, end of the faithless looting ban there's mm. a lot like the martyr oh, Pyromancer yeah. and you know, all the you know gristle brand decks all play black leaf cliffs so i think they're like 2025 now but if they if you put them into pioneer yeah they're probably back up to you know 40 bucks yeah so uh, there's some financial uh, issues there. I, I want to see them get reprinted into standard. I definitely want to see, you know, f- friendly colored aggressive decks get their their due. Because I think like a we played a Gruel aggro deck today on versus live. And like its cards are good. Burning Tramissary is a powerful magic card in an aggro deck. You know, especially with Pelt Collector and Experiment One, and then you have Ember Cleave and Gorklan Rampager. And Corey and I have both been impressed by Clothis, the the Gruel God from this set. Um, you know, at the beginning of your pre- pre-combat main phase, you exile a card from your graveyard. If it's a land, you get a red or a green mana. If it's a non-land, you drain them for two. Like, that's that by itself, even when they weren't making it a creature, like, has felt good. And then when you make it a creature, it's insane. Burning Tree Emissary helps you make it a creature really easily. Uh, you know, you're, you're, got if you just go... DRS feelings to it, almost. Yeah. You know, if you go, like, turn one, experiment one, turn two, Burning Tree, Voltaic Brawler, then you have a 3-3 three, three, experiment one, and then turn three, you play Clothis. Clothis is a creature then, and it evolves the experiment one into a 4-4. And on turn three, you have, what, 14 power if you pump your Voltaic Brawler when it attacks? That's pretty good. And that's not an absurdly difficult curve. You know, it's a good curve. That's that's a top, like, you know, 10 15% kind of draw. Yeah, but, I mean, that's going to kill a lot of people. It's going to happen. And then your other draws aren't horrible. But the mana in these decks is so bad. Yeah. You know, Selesnia Auras, like a Bogles deck in Pioneers, looked good when the mana works, but the mana is heinous. Well, a lot of the green-white lands, like the non-Temple Garden, you know, yeah. those, those they suck. Like, really yeah. bad. What, what's the one, that, the Czech land, what's it called? Um, Fortified Village or something? You mean the the, the Shadowlands? Yeah, I, I wasn't playing during the time. I, didn't, I don't remember what yeah. the... Czech lands are like Dragon Skull Summit. Yeah, yeah, you're Crag. right. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, the Shadows, of, Shadows of Innistrad lands that also like sort of check. The Game Trails, the Port Towns. Yeah, those are those are very bad. Every time I see a deck with Game Trail and I watch it play out, like I've watched it on your your your, your versus live before and turn the chat, I'm like, this is the worst card in the deck. This card is so unplayable. So uh, I think that that would be an, a nice uh, addition to the format over time. But right now we're we're more you know enemy color things, except for Azorius control, um, and, and mono color decks. 
you know, maybe somebody figures out a way to make the mana base work in a really powerful deck, but still have some utility lands. Like that, you know, we have an established metagame right now, but it's a still a young metagame. This is sort of like, it's like being two weeks into a standard environment. You know, week one, we've had that Wild Wild West era. We've had another week where things settled down, but there's a lot more to go. You know, we're, we're in like late October. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm looking forward to see what happens because I think we're going to get one of our longer or longest periods of this is the format in Pioneer. Like, you're not going to see a big change. You're not going to see a, a, a big shakeup. You're not going to see a ban but you're going to see a lot of tournaments. So we're going to get a lot of info of the same format. And we're yeah. going to see how healthy this format actually is because it looks like it's pretty healthy, honestly. Like overall, there's a lot of decks to choose from and then there's choices within those decks. Yeah, and then, and it's a good diversity of strategies. There's some there's aggro decks, mid-range decks, control decks, a little bit of combo in there to keep people honest. Uh, you know, there's graveyard decks, there's different kinds of aggressive decks, different you know, cool synergy decks versus more like straightforward good stuff decks. So... Yeah, uh, uh, and the gameplay is fun too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm really enjoying this format quite a bit. Uh, my only problem is I don't get to play it enough that I get to choose different decks all the time because I haven't been playing online as much. You know, I've just been playing like paper here or there, and it's like there's not enough tournaments for me to play all the sweet decks I want to play. So definitely gonna have to try to you know check the, the check the list off as much as I possibly can. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm I'm gonna be excited. We've got a bit of time before that that phoenix tournament and i don't know where the other two regions have their players towards this time uh i mean there's there's one in europe and one in japan um but that's going to be that's all that right there is already three big tournaments of data that we'll get that weekend and that'll be a fun show to do and um this this is a good time good time to be pioneering yeah i think after maybe the first pioneer open itself like the first full pioneer open and then the the players tour i think we're gonna have pretty long episodes i think you and i are gonna have a lot to talk about quite a bit <laughs> yes unless uh, someone just randomly breaks it at the team of it like you know some deck comes out and we're like what happened here this person's a yeah. genius you know kind of thing and, and yeah that you know we've got those two s or i guess one we'll have one team open that will kind of play spoiler and so that's kind of, that's pretty fun too um uh, and i'll definitely be working with uh with my team for richmond to try to come up with something good for that event and we've got a bunch of new cards it's there's just so much to think about with Pioneer. It's kind of unfortunate that all the other formats are also interesting because, like, I want to focus on just one, but all three are great. So, speaking of great things, um, we have a pretty great uh, Discord that goes along with the Pioneer cast. And we have a mailbag section that the uh, our patrons get to actually ask us questions in. And we have a couple questions for this week, uh, one of which is from one of my favorite screen names uh, that we have in all of the Discord uh, Tron Travolta, just great screen name. Always going to say it every time they're up here. And the question is directed at you, Ross. And I love this question because it's just such a good meme. The question is, uh, when when Ross is asked if he'll start streaming, he always says soon. This means never, right? Okay. It doesn't necessarily mean never. What it means is it's not imminent but it's something I keep in mind in the back of my head. I really meant to start doing it last year, and then I got sidetracked with other things. You know, I bought this, the mic I use for this cast, I bought like a year before we started this because I intended to start streaming and just didn't. Um, and I would like, I think I would enjoy streaming on a very light schedule. I would never do it more than, you know, 
five, 10 hours a week. And that, even that is kind of heavy. I'd probably do it like once a week for four or five hours. Um, and that's about what I'm looking to do. But here's the thing about me is that I think of a lot of things to do and I'm like, yeah, I should do that. And I don't really follow through super quickly. Like it takes me a couple months to get motivated again to do it. And then even then, like maybe it, there's a lot of, there's a high activation energy for me to actually get something like this done that isn't super essential. Um, so you got to get me properly motivated. Um, and with a little bit of time. So you got to find a time when there's like, you know, a week or two where I'm not traveling and really get me psyched to do it. Uh, and then, and then once it starts happening, it's easy for it to recur. Right. You don't you gotta get the first one out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The first one's the hardest. Yeah, you so. get that initial dive in and then you just get learn to swim very easily. Yeah. So like we float along, there's always a possibility of it happening and we just need to get into that right. We, we need to get the spark that lights the fire. We haven't had, I haven't had the spark yet uh, and I'm waiting for it, but it doesn't mean it's never going to happen. It could never happen. You never know. It's kind of like a slot machine. Like it could pay out. <laughs> there, there has been streaming from your living room before. That has actually happened. Yeah. And you were in that me. stream. It wasn't you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go on the, look, the smart money is on the over of it never happening. <laughs> if, if it not actually being a thing or if it does happen, then like, 24 hours total the under i think is what i would bet you know you get like three in and you're like this is heinous i'm never doing this again but like i said never say never and i don't know you might you know what's gonna happen you're gonna get snowed in for like three days once and on the second or third day when you're just like out of food and all there is is wine in your house and you're just like wine drunk you're like i'm gonna fire up the stream and like you're gonna, you're gonna try to get somebody to send you a pizza <laughs> or something just to make you have some sustenance while it's going on or whatever but I, I don't see it happening. I, I could see that happening for sure. I, I do have something to interrupt you with. We got one more question here, but did you see the news about Josh Donaldson? Yes, I did. That's actually, I think you saw me on my phone quite a bit over yeah. the last five minutes. I've been texting everybody. It, uh, dropped, it dropped 10 minutes ago. Yeah, so if everybody doesn't know, I'm the biggest Braves fan of the world, and one of our best players just signed with the Minnesota Twins, which is really surprising because they've had uh, a rough offseason. Because uh, they were attached to most of the major free agents, but nobody wants to play baseball in Minnesota in a stadium that doesn't have a roof, which is just just baffles me. They, they lose so many games at the beginning of the year to snow outs. Yeah, that's right. They lose baseball games because of snow. But um, well, it's just snow in April. I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, the We'll do a quick little tangent here. The American League Central, which the, the, tw the Twins play in, um, Sneaky good division this year. Like, Cleveland's still really good. Chicago, the White Sox, they improved themselves quite a bit. Kansas City is not a major league baseball team. They're a triple-A team. But Minnesota is sneaky good and will score a bajillion runs this year. You're going to see them and the Yankees. Well, we'll see what ball they use this year. The, the baseball that was used in the major leagues last year was a little juiced. Uh, you know, all-time home run records were just shattered. Um, so if the ball gets a, a little better for the pitchers, maybe it slows down a little bit. That team could score some damn runs, and that's scary. Cause they scored some runs last year, too. The the, th the thing with Donaldson is is he's 34 at the time of this contract, and they just gave him a four-year deal with an option. This is the second-largest deal ever for a player of his age. Uh, the, is the option for the fifth year or for the fourth year? It's for the fifth year. Um, I don't know how it vests yet. They, have, they haven't announced that. They may have somewhere. I just missed it. Do you know who has Do you know who has the biggest deal from that age? That they signed? Barry Bonds. No. It's, here's the funny part. He was signed in 1998. 
Think about that. It's been that long since someone has spent that much money on a person this old. Kevin Brown, the first $100 million man. So think about it. The first $100 million contract ever was signed by a 34-year-old. It was seven years. I think it was like $108, $109 million. I would not have thought that that was for a pitcher. I was in like eighth grade when this happened, like seventh or eighth grade. And I lost my mind when I saw it. I was like, $100 million? Are you choking me? Because literally like four years before that, it was like four years before that Greg Maddox signed to the Braves for like five years at $25 million, and that was the most guaranteed money a pitcher had ever gotten, period, in the history of the game. <laughs> and he won three Cy Youngs in a row, which is good, by the way. If you don't know baseball reference, that's good. He won three Pro Tours in a row. Like, you know, he's, he's, he was Kai. That Kevin Brown contract didn't work out so well. The, the, I'm going to tell you this right now. The p- pitching contracts that size don't work out. Like They just really, <laughs> really don't. Throwing a baseball that hard overhand is very unnatural, Ross. And there's a lot of things that you mess up in your shoulder and your elbow. But you know, every now and then, obviously, but you know, one or two of them work out. But overall, they're generally just really bad. Hey, how about that second question so I don't just keep talking about baseball the entire show? I could do an entire podcast by myself about baseball, but go ahead. Let's, let's do it. I'm in. If you want to do it, I'm in. Don't, don't. Don't threaten oh, me no, with I a good mean, time. I mean, let's do the question. I do, do not want to do a podcast with you about baseball. Fair. Fair. Let, let that be. Just like, do you want to do a podcast with me that's solely about basketball? I think I could actually hang. Like, I would just ask you questions a lot. And then, like, within about yeah. a few months, I think I could keep up. I would you have to you play a lot of fantasy basketball now, so you do ask me questions like that. Yeah. but I And I play fantasy baseball, but I take it very not seriously. Yeah. I, I, I took it seriously every year because I really wanted to win. And I won back-to-back years, and now I just don't care anymore. Like I got my trophies, I'm good. Yeah, my God, what's it like? My my favorite <laughs> my favorite thing with Ross every year, especially when we were grinding the tour together, I'd always be there while he was doing his drafts because he'd be doing it like an open on a Sunday night or whatever. But almost every year, even if if I'm not there to do the physical draft with him, I always get a text or a message. Hey, who's your sleepers this year? Give me like three names, you know. And yeah. like they usually hit, taking the last round. Yeah, they usually hit. Pretty, I got you a pretty good one last year. Yeah, you got me with the the Dodgers pitcher, Hinjin Ryu. Ryu. Yeah. Yeah. Who almost won the Cy Young? And no big deal. Just like your last round pick, no big deal. <laughs> like, that, was, that was a that was a nice one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I kind of saw it coming. But anyway, all right. Second, this, this last question. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Ross, why'd you have to bring up Josh Donaldson now? I just want to go talk about that. God damn it. Okay. Well, read me this question, and then we'll. Well, uh, you okay? How about you read it? Because I want to I want to be able to answer one of these two. Do you have it up, or do I need to read it? Uh, I do not have it up. Okay, that's why. I asked uh, you. so. It's funny, their avatar is actually a San Francisco Giants avatar. So there we go, baseball fan. And they, they talk a lot of sports. It's, uh, I'm Rahil327. I don't I don't know how to pronounce her name. I apologize. I talk to this person a lot on Discord. I, I really am sorry that I don't know how you pronounce your thing, but... Please angrily correct him yes, please, in the please. Discord. Uh, at me on Twitter. I love that <laughs> when people are angry at me and at me on Twitter. Uh, so the question is, do you think there's an age at which one is too old to become proficient in magic? I know that most top players started when they were younger, have years and years of muscle memory, experience, situations, etc. to draw from. Not talking about going pro, but is there an age at which it's unlikely that the necessary skills, etc. can be earned? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a quick stab at this. If you're not talking about going pro, and you're talking about whatever your definition of proficient is, and if you mean proficient is in like, you can win a game of Magic you're supposed to win. You know, you're not just going to give away stuff. You're not going to like suck, however you want to put it. I don't know if there's an actual skill age where you can't, besides like, you know, 60, 70, 80, when like your your mental acuity starts to actually fall off. I, I will admit this. I'm way slower at the game than I used to be. I don't learn as fast as I used to. I don't keep up as well as I used to. But I do think that you could become a proficient magic player well into your 40s and probably into your 50s and enjoy the game too. 
I mean, if you're talking just like you're able to go and contend at your store's FNM, I think you could do that into your 80s as long as you, you stay healthy. Yeah. Um, and active. So, like, yeah, at that level, you know, there's there's just no age gap. It's when you start talking about grinding and playing long two-day events where you're in the convention center for 12 hours. That gets tough in your—it starts to get tough in your 30s, but you can do it, and it gets real tough into your 40s. And we we see the same pattern with competitive chess. You know, once a, a real once a player hits forty, it's really virtually impossible for them to become like a world class elite level player, or and at least maintain it over a, a significant period of time. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, that said, like Magic is not chess. It's not as popular. It's not as worldwide. Um, so it's just not going to be quite as competitive. And that does you know. Um, play a factor so like if you're trying to play some opens and maybe do well you know you could do that well into your 30s or 40s too you but it's really the grinding that gets to you it's the traveling it's the long hours it's the you know not sleeping that great because you got to be up early again um and you know you really do have to do more like when i was in my you know when i was just starting in my early to mid 20s i think i was but I'm I'm 31 now, and I started grinding the SCG tour in 2012. So, and, and it's 2020. So I was 23 then. You know, back then we had to play the two one day opens, and if you top four, you came back early in the morning, before the second day started. And you know, I would play 22 rounds in a weekend, and I felt you know I felt tired, but I wasn't you know exhausted during the tournament. I could still play at a pretty high level towards the end, um, with a couple exceptions, and. Now, like, I just have to go, you know, I have to take more care. Um, that's a so really, it, that's a really good point. Like I do as well. I have to make sure I get a good night's sleep more. I eat better, you know, to take better care of myself physically, mentally. So, so that's the big thing. I would say, like, it's not that you can't do it. It's that you, you have to try harder because you have to be a lot more cognizant of how you eat, how you sleep, um, you know, not just on the tournament weekend, but in the days leading up to it. You know, oftentimes if I don't sleep well Thursday night, a tournament doesn't go that well. Because yeah. I'm th- sort of thrown off a bit, um, so uh, th- that's a big thing for me now too. So as you get older, like those things are just become a lot more important. You know how you eat, when you eat, um, and all that stuff. So you, you just got to be on your game. So like your margin for error is smaller as you get older. So don't, just don't think that you can you know treat it the same way you did or you would have you know 20 years earlier. Don't try uh, to and, keep up with the 20 year olds for sure. Exactly. Yeah. You know, get back to your hotel room at a reasonable time. Get the lights off. Get in bed. Maybe um, order some insomnia cookies, a glass of milk. Yeah, exa- exactly. So uh, that that's really the big thing is that you just have to be better and more, just more adult about it, really, mm-hmm. um, if you want to compete. But it really does get hard to, if you're talking about upper echelon, pro tour, you know, making worlds, that kind of level of play. That gets tough when... Uh, as you get into your thirties, you know, we have some high level, you know, pros that, that are up there in that age range here in magic. So it's certainly not impossible, but once you're in the 40 in your forties and fifties, definitely a, a, a tough thing to do. And I think that's tough in any, uh, mental sport. You know, I, I mentioned chess. I think it's pretty true in poker. I think we, we've seen a trend where like, you know, the top players in poker are all in their twenties. Yeah. Right. I mean, you like know? there's always exceptions to everything, right? There's always a few exceptions, but yeah. The the ones that are the exceptions that you're still seeing in like the 40s and 50s or even later that are good are the ones that a still put in the time 
but also did it when they were young. You know, they've just got this wealth of knowledge that's unparalleled by a lot of people. Yeah. And so if you're starting out, you know, at an older age and you're trying to get there, you know, it's that's going to be tough again. But very uphill. When, when I say tough, I, I don't mean impossible. Yeah. But um, the, the real thing, the real big thing is just managing yourself. But usually once you get into your 30s and 40s, you have a much better idea of how to manage yourself. Like, you know what your limits are because you spend your 20s making all the mistakes that, that let you, you know, understand what your limits are. So, uh, you know, just be, be cognizant of those and uh, and don't, yeah, don't try to hang with the 20-year-olds. Absolutely. All right, Ross, if people wanted to uh, interact with you on Twitter, uh, read some of these articles that you mentioned, or watch Versus Live, like you mentioned earlier, where could they find all that? Okay, so my Twitter handle is at Ross Hunneds. That's R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. I do try to respond to people as much as I can, so it's a good place to ask me questions uh, and give me a follow if you can. I appreciate that. Um, my articles go live typically on Tuesday at StarCityGames.com at 11 a.m. Eastern. Um, sometimes the you know the schedule sometimes gets shifted around a little bit for whatever reason. If that changes, usually I'll tweet out about it. So if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get to know. Uh, if it deviates, and then Versus Live runs up Tuesday and Thursday. That's 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern at uh, twitch.tv slash StarCityGames, which is the same channel you go to to watch opens. Um, you know, we have a fun time with um, it's me and Corey Baumeister just playing whatever formats and decks we think are fun and are relevant for tournaments coming up. And we'll talk about how to sideboard, how to play, how to you know how to play them, how to approach a matchup, take different lines. We take questions you know live from the audience. So it's a great time if you can watch us live. Uh, if you cannot watch us live, the uh, videos do get archived and go up on the Star City Games YouTube channel. The Tuesday shows will be up the following Friday, so three days later. Thursday shows will be up the following Monday, so uh, four days later for those. So you can catch those on the YouTube channel if you can't catch them live. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. Uh, a lot of tweets about football in the last couple of weeks, if you like that yeah. kind of thing. Uh, it's been a kind of a crazy year for football. I'm going to be talking a lot about baseball, but I do talk mostly about magic. So if you like a lot of magic stuff on there, you can follow me on there as well. Uh, the podcast itself has a Twitter, at Cast Pioneer. Go ahead and give it a follow. Um, we were pretty interactive on there. Uh, we retweet a lot of deck lists. So if you like seeing cool Pioneer deck lists, you want to see what people are playing with, a lot of 4-1 and 5-0 screenshots or just cool decks. There's been a thread that started, I don't know, a month and a half ago on our Twitter that, that it's been tagged in that has just continued to go. And it's uh like this, uh it's like the blue-white control thread. And it's it's literally like hundreds of, it, I mean, I'm sure there's more than one. But they've been talking about that deck and gearing it down to the brass tacks and like how to sideboard certain matches. So if you like that deck, you can find that uh, on our Twitter as well. And we can start doing that with some of the other decks, I'm sure, if you want to start getting a real huge thread about it going. Um, we mentioned the Discord earlier. That link is on our Twitter. So if you want to join the Discord, make sure that you do. Super active community, a lot of things going on in there. We have so many different Discord channels inside of our Discord. Tons of magic-related stuff, tons of non-magic-related stuff, in, including one of the newest channels that got put into there, the Food Channel. Very, very popular. Uh, me and Ross have been talking a lot about our favorite foods in there, um, especially with, like restaurants, mostly about like you know when you travel. We'll be posting in there when we can, when events come up in certain cities. Uh, you know, if you have questions or whatever, there's a sports section, a lot of good sports conversations going on there. We even have audio channels in there as well. So if, I ever, if I'm ever home during the weekend when an event's going on, I'm gonna pop in there every now and then and do that. <clears throat> 
every now and then in the general channel, I do like a quick AMA if I, you know, have some time and have a little fun. But we also have a Patreon channel as well in our Discord. That is only for our patrons that, you know, help support the show, pay for our wonderful editor, pay for the, the stuff that we use to record and things like that. Um, I was to say, I think we're about two weeks away from revealing the thing that we've been working on. Or one of the things that we've been working on for the patrons in the future. Uh, Ross and I have seen an early draft of it, and it's nice. I'm I'm a fan. Can't wait. We would describe it as dope shit. <laughs> yeah, hashtag dope shit. And uh, <laughs> we're gonna get it trending one day, Ross. It's gonna it's gonna happen. But I'm a I'm a big fan of it. Uh, hashtag DS. And uh, we're gonna have some cool stuff with that in the future as well. So that's gonna be added on to our page uh, to our Patreon, available for our patrons, along with some other stuff that we've got going on. If you want to ask Ross about the dredge deck this weekend, you want an actual real-time response or also be available at some point in time this week he's got a little bit of a, a break in the travels coming up good time to get some questions in so uh yeah that's about it for this week's episode and then you wanted to add at the last minute i know i it's really sad we had actually planned for ross to come visit uh baton rouge this week he was going to come hang out uh him and jim davis because they always wanted to come down here um you know nice little section to do it but the jazz are in town this week and so ross is gonna be able to catch a, a pelicans in a jazz game and it's uh zion williams first game he's gonna play apparently thursday night so we would have gotten really lucky if you came but ross chickened out i don't blame you man you've been traveling way too much lately definitely don't blame me there but <clears throat> uh it would have been a cool one to have this week so uh we might have to do a little discord date thing and watch the game or something thursday night yeah i'm in yeah. Uh, what time, do you know what time the game is? Uh, the game it's it's a home game it's here, seven, so I think seven it, central. Yeah, I think it's probably eight Eastern, seven Central. Yeah, eight Eastern. Uh, Perfect. I've got a late lunch, early dinner work thing, so I'm sure I can I can swing the time. Yeah, so it'll end right about right about when karaoke starting too. Yeah, we can maybe even have a little uh, friendly wager on it. You know, I'll uh, I'll buy you a drink at karaoke if if y'all win or whatever. I'll, I'll PayPal you five bucks or whatever, <laughs> whatever it costs. What, what are they like four dollars for a drink up there? It's so cheap. Anywhere from three to five. There we go. All right. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode. A lot of cool things going on in Pioneer, but I'm really looking forward to these uh, to these big events coming up in a couple weeks. And I think we get to really get into the meat and potatoes of what's going on in this format. Because like I said, no changes coming up. Really looking forward to it. Hope you're going to be there. See y'all later. <laughs>